Welcome to Golden Topics, which are personal discussions with a variety of professionals on critically important elder issues. Hi, my name is Mirit Hoffman. I'm a mother of three, a gerontologist, and an attorney specializing in elder law. My focus is helping senior citizens to stay in control when they reach significant junctions in their lives. I am a member of STEP, which is a global society of trust and estate practitioners. I lecture on estate planning and I write on various sites about the relationship between children and their elderly parents and the daily needs of the intergenerational family. These podcasts are personal discussions with a variety of professionals and are intended for anyone who is interested in being enriched with knowledgeable information regarding significant crossroads for seniors. Let's get started. I hope you enjoy it. And today we're t- going to be talking about smart investing as we get older. And um, with me is Aaron Katzman, who is the president and CEO of Lighthouse Capital, which is a boutique wealth management firm in Yerushalayim, who has over 20 years of experience helping people manage their investment accounts. Um, so Aaron, thank you very much for joining me. And um, why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's great. I appreciate it. Um, I am, you're pretty much, pretty much got it. We might have to change the 20 years of experience to 30 pretty soon, but, um, like you said, I'm a financial professional. I'm licensed both in Israel and in the U S and, uh, we work with clients to understand what their goals are, what their needs are, um, do financial planning with them and invest the money so that they can, you know, uh, have the, the, the type of, uh, life that they, uh, that they want. Okay. Could don't say thirty years because in my head we're still forty. Like that's the maximum I'm willing to get to. So you I thought what is? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay, so so let's start. I mean, so how should we allocate our money as we get older? I'm sure, like everybody wants to invest. A lot of people do have investments. What should they start be thinking about? And from what age really should we start planning this? Right. So. I would sort of make the case that all through life, you should sort of be always looking at your money and seeing if your money is invested in a way which is in accordance with where you're holding in life. Um, which means, you know, when you're younger, you can just, you know, generally let it rip and, and be aggressive and, and invest for the long term. And as you get older, um, and you approach retirement, let's say, um, again, reassess, um, understand what your income limitations of what your income is going to be uh once you retire and what your expenses are projected to be and see are you you know am i invested in a way right now that um will allow me to have the kind of retirement that i want to have once you get into retirement chances are that's it right you're not the money that you have is the money that you have um they're probably not going to be when you get that age you're probably not going to be uh any inheritances anymore you're probably not working um, and you've got to be smart about your money. Now, it might mean that you don't have to do anything, right? Depending on how much money you have, but you certainly have to look and you have to have that conversation. Do I need to generate more income to supplement? You know, my healthcare costs might be soaring. I might want to be traveling more. You know, my expenses might, might also jump because I sort of want to live it up before I can't live it up, uh, physically anymore. So uh, it really pays to sort of through life have that conversation, but especially once you get within a couple of years of retirement and certainly once you get into retirement, 
Uh, you really, really have to sort of continually reassess what your situation is um, in order for your money to be working for you in the most uh, efficient manner. So basically, if I understand what you're saying, so at, when we're younger, we can maybe invest, if we're thinking about investing more aggressively because we're thinking long term. So what would go down hopefully would go up, and when we need it, we would have whatever it is that we wanted. But as we get older, we need to think more conservative if investing at all because we have only X amount of years. And even if we have 120, at some point we want to actually use the money, whereas when we're investing when we're in our 20s or 30s, we're just thinking long-term, we're actually not touching it as of yet. Yeah, there's there's no question when you're younger, you know, like you said, um, in this business, time is your best friend. The longer that you have, your longer the time horizon you have, chances are the better that you'll do and the more aggressive or the more growth oriented, I would say, um, that one could be. Once one gets older and they get into, you know, the the, the middle of their retirement, um, it's not necessarily that they have to take the foot off the accelerator. You know, it really depends on their own individual situation and how much money they have uh, and what their goals are. It might be that their income, you know, between between me and their pension and you know, whatever government pension they're getting, if it's the social security in the States or what have you, that might be more than enough. And their goal might be, you know, I want to leave as much money to my kids as I possibly can. Or it might be, you know what, we want to sort of enter the philanthropic world and we want to leave as much money for, for charity as we can. And that might mean, well, we shouldn't get so, so conservative, but we should still stay, you know, more tilted towards growth. It's, it's not one size fits all. It really, what I really, really encourage is that when you get to this stage, you sit with someone. Uh, I'm not, it's not self-promotion. It's really, you need to do it because each case uh, really needs to be taken on its own, right? You're not like your neighbor and you're not like the, you know, the person in your, that you're traveling with to, to the Dead Sea or whatever. Everybody has their own financial situation, their own goals and needs, their own family situation. And it really all sort of needs to be taken together and and sort of put through the process to see what your own specific uh, situation is. Absolutely. Actually, you know what? That's that really that's so true. Especially um, like for instance, I have clients. Let's say who have trusts in America, so they know they have income which is going to be coming in on a regular basis, um, or they already have income coming in on a regular basis. But not everybody has that. And uh, people who don't have that are going to live off their pension accounts or their which they haven't opened until now, and now they're going to open it. And then there, there's people who um, really want to give to their children and grandchildren and even help them through university or whatever it is. And then there's the other people who want to go on a hot air balloon and, you know, travel the world that way. So, and not think about their children or grandchildren. So you're right. It's, it's very individual and, and, and the investment is, is works according to your needs and your wants and how you want to continue living your life. You're right. There's no, there's no question about it. And I laughed when you said hot air balloon. I had a meeting today with somebody and I used that example and she said, well, we, you know, we're thinking of going to Venice and I'm throwing out the example of uh, traveling around the world on a hot air balloon. So, uh, we're thinking the same way, but, um, yeah, there's just no question that, uh, that, that, you know, it's each person and, uh, you know, you've got to do what's good for you. Each person also um, has their own way 
you mentioned, you know, children and grandchildren. There's some, especially I find here in Israel, it's a little bit different than it, than abroad. But in Israel, from what I see, um, is that people want to help their children and their grandchildren while they're still alive. Yes. And I see in in abroad, especially in the U.S., they're more willing to do it posthumously, right? I don't want to say they want to race their money to the grave, right? And whatever's left is left. But I find I wrote a I wrote a book on retirement investing a long time ago, so I'm not pitching it. But I spoke, I wrote about this, and I gave sort of a, a couple different, you know, examples of people. And in Israel, for sure, um, people want to sort of have that enjoyment. And it's not only that; it's not just to have the the fulfillment of giving, you know, when you see your grandchild wearing his braces that you paid for or paying for some extracurricular activity, but it's that, you know, things are a little bit harder here and people tend to have bigger families and it's not so simple. And that's the time when they're, you know, when your kids are in their forties and they've got young kids, that's really the time where they really need the help more. Um, and that's when people I find want to open up their hearts a little bit and give as much as they can. Again, it has to be done. You don't want to leave yourself short at the end. You want to move in with those aforementioned children or grandchildren. You want to leave enough money for yourself at the end. But uh, if you plan it out smartly, you can sort of have the best of both worlds where you can do what you want to accomplish in retirement, but at the same time help while you're still alive and have you know, have that satisfaction as well. Well, it's interesting what you said about Americans uh, or people living abroad versus people uh, who in Israel, but it's very it's very true. People in Israel do... As they get older, there's a tendency that they want to help their children and grandchildren while they're still alive and they can see it, you know, they can see the enjoyment or the satisfaction of, of giving. What about, I? But in particular, Americans, I know that there's a lot of issues with investments and there's FATCA and there's PFIX and there's all sorts of things. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, about what Americans in general and if there's something specific for people as they get older regarding investments? Sure. So that's like a loaded topic. Um, it's not so much fun in, in the investing world uh, to be an American who lives abroad. Um, why do I say that? You mentioned PFIX. Um, I don't want to get down into the, the minutia of, of what it is, but basically, um, you know, a lot of people tell me, you know, we want to bring our money to Israel. And I tell them, well, you have to be really careful because if you don't invest correctly, you're looking at prohibitively high taxation because of these PFIX um, and the filing fees that your accountants take for these for, for these filings is also can be exorbitant. Um, and you really have to sort of know how to navigate that world. It basically, again, without getting into the, the weeds, you can basically only invest in individual stocks or individual bonds. You can't do any kind of funds or baskets. All that kind of stuff is sort of, um, it's legal, but it, I would say it's sort of off limits, so to speak. Which means most people aren't going to be most American or you know Olim who come aren't going to be so comfortable you know buying and selling Israeli stocks on the television stock exchange. There are people who are, but just from my unscientific uh, check, it, it it doesn't happen very often. Right. Which means that you're pretty much um, resigned for good or bad to to keep your money in the states um, and invest. Uh, in the States. Now, property is also, you know, Jews like property. And in Israel, everybody likes property, um, hence the the surge in property prices. Now, a lot of people will also say, well, you know what, I'm going to bring my money to Israel, I'm going to invest in property. That may or may not be a good idea. Um, why is that? Not against property at all. 
But as you age, um, probably the most important thing that you can do to help yourself is keep liquidity, right? You need to have money available. And too often I see people with really, really large net worths and, you know, God forbid something happens to them and they have to extend, they have to widen a bathroom to make it like wheelchair accessible and they don't have the cash. And you can't like take a saw, you know, and start sawing, go, you know, here's my rental property. Here's a extra room that I have my rental property in lieu of payment. You know, they're not going to, the, the contractor is not going to accept, that, believe it or not. And um, you, at the end of the day, you're stuck. You've got this big, big net worth and you can't do what you need to do because all your money is tied up in property. So I strongly urge people to keep a lot of liquidity as they age. Um, now. Is that going back to what I said, that means you're sort of stuck with having to keep your money uh, in the States for good or for bad. There's plenty of advantages. Um, there mm-hmm. are disadvantages as we're living through now. Um, you know, you're at risk. Um, you have currency exposure, let's say. So, which means if the shekel gets strong, um, you could potentially, you know, when you have to do that, bring the money over to, and, and live off of some of that money, um, you know, it doesn't go as far as it did you know, years ago, um, that's an, that, that is a risk that one has, but I know I'm going to burst a lot of bubbles because that's probably the most popular issue out there right now is how strong the shekel is. But just for those people who it's not as bad as you think, let's put it that way, right? If you invested in the States over the course of this year in 2021, you know, moderately aggressive portfolios did anywhere between 15 and 20% so far this year. So, you know, if you, factor in the minus whatever it is six or seven percent that the currency has dropped you still had a very very good year and you still have a lot more money even in shekel terms that you did um if you turn back the clock 11 months so i wouldn't be you know as worried about that um as some people are um the big issue and this is where you know it well sort of dealing with the elderly doing state planning is when americans die abroad uh it presents a, a very sort of complicated um, web uh, for the heirs to be able to access the money right. uh, in most cases. And that's something, you know, we could probably speak for hours about because um, the, but, but we're not going to, because you're going to, okay. you're, uh, you're going to cut me off. Uh, <laughs> I won't cut you off. My mom cut you off. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but but uh, the IRS requires certain documentations. One of those documentations is called a transfer certificate. Right. And that can be complicated to get, uh, especially in the era of corona. Uh, Pre-corona on the IRS website, they said it could take anywhere around nine months to get. Now, forget about it. It could take over a year to get. Um and this is where I would refer people to you, actually, um, to set up one's accounts and finances in a way that you can do illegal, obviously, but end around the need for a transfer certificate. That can mean, you know, you know better than I, but it can mean um, uh, trusts. It could mean, you know, having a U.S. executor, probate, all kinds of different things. That's probably not for this particular forum, but I would recommend people speak to you um because this is a really big estate planning issue and uh, if you don't get it right uh it could take a while for your heirs to actually access the money that's true the another thing that i was 
a hundred percent that's true there's a lot of things that people need to also understand though um as they get older if they're planning on living here and and you know people were thinking no i'll continue traveling but because of corona and people getting older they're less interested in actually making you know the round trip to america with their masks on it's not so fun doing a pcr there and a pcr here and a pcr seven million times some people just you know give up on traveling and um if that is the case it's a lot of times sometimes sometimes think about actually you know transferring more money here leaving less in america because you're going to need it because you need access and you'll need it more as you get older there is more likelihood that you'll need it more here there was something that i was i was going to just say any um in bracket sort of thing that a lot of people um regarding you know you said uh, i should have money to the fifth there we go we come back okay good um so i was thinking there's all there's also a lot of people that you know become very generous as they get older and like oh i'm gonna give this really big gift to my kids and oh i'm gonna give half of whatever and i keep telling them you know what let's not do that right now because i hope and i and i pray and i i really would like you to live at 120 full healthy you know until the very end and you can distribute to whoever you want because you're not going to need it but we don't know if that's going to be the case and the last thing you want to do is to be dependent on your kids for getting the money back because you need it for medical issues or or whatever or you know for making the house accessible for you for whatever reason you need so gifts are very nice but let's proportion them because people are getting people are living longer it doesn't mean they're going to be living longer healthier or healthy throughout that whole lifespan and you don't know when at some point you might need that money and how much you're going to need so that's also something that people need to take into consideration when they're as they get older about gifting and how much to gift and it's always very you know it's, it's a very delicate balance for sure and I think it's the balance that they need to speak to a professional about. They can speak to their financial advisor, they can speak to their accountant, they can speak to their estate planner, uh, or sort of, you know, to figure out that part, right? How much can you comfortably have that you need to be comfortable and that anything above and beyond that, that you can start, I would say, slowly. I, I, oftentimes, people get a little bit um, too gung-ho. You see that? I, I see that a lot with weddings. Um you know, the the grandparents want to, or even parents want to be sort of, as they say in Hebrew, large, and they want to, you know, they want to help out. They want to help them out with an apartment. They want to help pay for the wedding. And they don't realize that they might have a lot of children or a lot of grandchildren. And the first one that you give is sort of the precedent. And if you don't think long and hard about how much money you're going to give, you can end up leaving yourself way, way short. You can overpromise. Then you're, oh, what are you going to do for the third or fourth? grandchild you tell them sorry i don't have the money i mean that's not how it generally works so you want to be really really smart on how you, how you distribute money uh to your children to your grandchildren even to charity so that you don't leave yourself short you don't want to outlive your money that's like bad <laughs> but you can you know but if you're smart about it you can like i said earlier you can have the best of both worlds you can you can, you know, take care of yourself and be comfortable and secure financially and do those things in terms of giving and take care of your, your kids and your grandchildren and, and charity, which give you that satisfaction and not just self-satisfaction, but actually being able to help 
the other person like we really want to do. So if you're smart about it, things tend to work out. If you're a little bit too emotional about it, um, then sometimes bad things happen. Are there ways, let's say somebody's short on a monthly basis, are there ways that he can actually generate income while, okay. So So that's a big one. That's, I think, probably one of the most um, popular, for lack of a better word, um, services, for lack of a better word, um, that we provide. I think that people, you know, generally what you need to do once you get into retirement is sit down with with a pen of paper and figure out, first of all, how much are you really spending on a monthly basis? That's like number one. That's the first thing you have to do. How much am I spending on a, on a, on a monthly basis? And then figure out what are my um, consistent incomes, right? My me, my Israeli pension, my social security, my whatever. Government pensions you have from other countries. Um, and then if you have a shortfall, um, take a look at your portfolio see, okay, what's my shortfall? And then how can I generate the income necessary um, to supplement these pensions and what have you in order to make the month, make ends meet? Um, That's obviously very, very important. And that goes along with what we said before, that as you get in different stages in life, you should always be sort of reassessing your portfolio to see where it is. And that's that's a point where oftentimes we have to make the switch, right? Where we have to make the switch from um, from uh, accumulation mode, I would say, to try and you know make as much money and have as much money and grow our portfolios to as much as possible, to then taking that pie that we've managed to accomplish and then using it um, for what it's for, and that's to to to, to get us over the hop, so to speak, so that we can you know have our secure financial uh, retirement the way that we want it, that we want to do it. And, and, you know, and oftentimes that means making that switch from growth to something a little bit more uh, moderate, um, more focused on dividends and income and that kind of thing, which is why we grow it for the first 30 or 40 years of our investment life anyway, so that we have a much bigger base to generate, uh, to generate the income from that we may or may not need later on in retirement. Okay. So that's a good point. So basically, let's say if somebody has a portfolio which uh, I don't know, I'm throwing number, I'm throwing things like uh, 60-40, meaning uh, 60 is more, um, less conservative, let's say, and 40 is actually more. As you get older, you need to maybe shift it a little bit. And if you need money, um, if you're short on your monthly income, you're saying even in that, in that portfolio of the 60-40 or 70-30, whatever it is, there are ways that you could actually... Um, manage it somehow so that you can actually start taking from that pie um exactly Exactly. you got it perfectly it could mean one of two things it might mean you know if you're if if you have you know 100 percent in stocks it might mean that you really have to uh take your foot off the accelerator and focus much more on sort of fixed income and drop down to you know what you mentioned a 70 30 or 60 40 type of portfolio it might mean that you already have a 60-40 type of portfolio or a 100% stock portfolio, but you can tweak it so that instead of just being focused on growth, you can you know, increase dividends or start having it work for you where you still be fully invested, but having it start spitting off income, you know, dividend stocks and real estate trusts and things that traditionally pay much higher dividends than your shares of Apple or Facebook, Meta, 
whatever they're called now. Um, you know, you, you go more to the traditional Johnson and Johnsons of the world. I'm not making any recommendations, just as example. But you sort of have a switch in your mind where you can still have that exposure to the market and still get a lot of that upside growth, but um, create for yourself a passive income stream as well in order to sort of put you over the hop on a monthly basis. That's really good. I didn't. That's really good. That's a very. Um, that's a very important point. What about? Let's talk a little bit about adding people to accounts. Um, I know as people get older, not everybody is uh, technologically savvy. Not everybody knows how to use um, their bank accounts on the internet. Um, I'm learning new stuff every day, and. Um, and so a lot of people choose to add family members to their accounts in order to help them, you know, manage it on a weekly, monthly, whatever basis. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really um, important. Now, we were talking about before, before we went on live, yeah. um, you have to do it smartly. Um, it probably pays not to, as you mentioned, not to add them as an account holder because that opens mm -hmm. up a Pandora's box with taxes or what have you. Um, but you do want to give somebody access to the account so that um, they have what's called, we call it trading authority. Um, it's sort of a watered down power of attorney, um, but allows the child or generally it's a child um, to uh, trade in the account. If need be, they can transfer money in the account. These are all things that happen. You know, when you, you want to protect yourself against the case of where somebody becomes incapacitated. Because in that situation, that's specifically when you really need the, you might really, really need to tap the money, God forbid, when somebody has a, a phys, you know, a, a, a stroke, God forbid, or a heart attack, whatever it is, and um, you really need the money. If there's nobody else on the account, and you know, if it's a joint account, if both parties are sort of not with it, or if it's an individual account, and that person is not incapacitated, the money's as good as frozen, de facto. So you really need to put somebody on the account for that specific situation where they can access the money and the money serves the purpose you really need it for. And that's to take care of you now. Um, I've had cases years ago where somebody had, um, they uh, was an individual and his wife had died and uh, he was a widower and he had a stroke and his sister called me and he said, we need money. And I said, I'm really sorry, but we can't access the money because he's the only one who can access the money unless you go and get a court appointed and hour of attorney, but right. you know, that's a process. So at the end, that's what ended up happening, but it could be avoided. That's something that could be avoided. And something else that it's not directly related, but it's also related a little bit to what we were talking about before, but this is a big tip. Um, I strongly recommend that um, you take, this is old. you mentioned technology. That's what sort of the light went off. Um, don't use technology, take the old fashioned, take a notebook. If anybody remembers what those things are, take a notebook and paper and put in that notebook, a recent monthly statement of all of your bank accounts, all of your brokerage accounts have the first page of their written down the name of your accountant, the name of your lawyer, the name of your advisor, uh, maybe even the name of your doctor and their contact information, their email and their phone numbers. Why do I say this? Because far too often, um, one person sort of was in charge of the money. And if that person passes away, 
the surviving spouse sometimes is left to they're in a, it's hard enough the state of mind that they're in the emotional state of mind they're in but they don't necessarily have the wherewithal they don't they don't have the ability or the tools to even know where to start and they don't know where the accounts necessarily were they don't know what's in the accounts so you know who's our accountant you know i don't know i just sort of signed my you know my my significant other gave me a paper i signed it i trusted him and, and we went on you know that worked for 60 years of marriage and all of a sudden you're on your own you don't even know you don't know what to do and if you have that written down they you don't know, not password protected you know in some file which also nobody's going to remember how to get into but if you have it in an old-fashioned notebook you can save yourself tremendous tremendous grief and time and um it, it can make it you know it can get you on the right path very very quickly as opposed to having to scramble and get depressed and not even have access to the mud i can't if, if of the whole half hour we've been talking that's probably the most important thing believe it or not that i can tell yeah. the is just to write it down simply on a piece of paper so everybody knows where it is and you have all the accounts and everything there and you'll make your life and your survivor's life heirs life so much easier 100 percent to update it it's so funny and i feel like you're actually in the office with me when i have is There we are. I don't know what's going on with the internet and it's driving me nuts. But it's so funny because it's exactly it's exactly the conversation I have with my clients. When they step in the door to discuss a will, the first thing I say was, okay, who's in charge of the finance and who knows where everything is? And usually the wife looks at him and goes, he does. Mm -hmm. and, she, and I say to her, and, and what about you? And she goes, I have no idea. So I said, okay, so now we're going to change that. Right. Exactly, exactly what you said. It is so important. It is so important. I had I have clients, unfortunately, calling me in tears because she doesn't have a clue where her accounts are and her husband just passed away or is in a hospital. There's nobody to ask and she needs the money and she doesn't know what to do. And she's now on her hands and knees looking under the mattress, looking for something, looking for some sort of tip to start, you know, looking right. for information. It's terrible. So, yes, I... I this day and age of technology where everything's pushed, all your statements are pushed to you by email. You know, if the other person doesn't know the passwords or doesn't know that it's like, you know, that's it. They're frozen. They're completely frozen out and they're frozen out of the account. It's, yeah. it's as simple as that. And, uh, you know, to get unfrozen to get access to that account costs, a, you know, they could cost the money. It can take a lot, a lot of time, a lot of time. And who needs to do that? There's such a simple solution for it. It's not, you know what? It's not even accounts. It's actually everything. It's your, it's your pensions. It's your gamel. It's your insurance. It's your It's like so many things that you should just have access to or know of and update them all the time. Make sure that they're hundred percent updated or as much as you can update them. For sure. It's very. That's really, really important. Well, that was a very good tip. I hope people took that. I'll even show you. You see, sometimes what do they say? The shoemaker goes barefoot. Here you go. Very <laughs> this is, nice. This is mine. I I don't always practice what I preach, but for that, I got it right next to me. Very nice. Very nice. I, I It's funny because I, I also do that. I have uh, just recently updated my will for the kids and... Um, I spoke to them and I told them, listen, I'm making you a list of all the stuff, not that I have so much, but here's a list. 
this is going to get updated. It's this is it's going to be in so and so place, just so you know where it is, and you have access to whatever is needed if God forbid something happens. So yeah, it's yep. very important. And at any age, actually, this is important at any age. This is regardless of how old you are. I've had got it's terrible, but I've worked. I've I've uh, consulted with three widows who were both all in their thirties and tragic cases, and that's what happened because they were all young and everybody's tech savvy. And they had absolutely no clue how to get into the accounts. No clue how to get in the accounts because it was his password. He didn't share it with them. And they were all, each one of them, it was the exact same story each time over. And they each were stuck. And, you know, until they got able to access it, it took a very, very long time. Okay. Well, it's been, it's, it's, it's been extremely, extremely important conversation and super, and super, um, it, Formative and very interesting and we can continue talking as we can as you know for over for like hours and hours on these topics but um basically i want to just try and um you know try and um talk like just say what we basically spoke about right now in short so basically saying first of all make sure that as you get older um you need to re-look at your stuff and shift from growth to income or shift from, you know, from um, to more conservative way of investing. Um, when we're gifting to children, be realistic about how much you want to give. Don't gift everything because you might need it. You don't know how much you'll need. So, you know, think about it more conservatively. Um, adding people to an account, how you should add them is are important topics that should be discussed. And um, and basically making sure that you have a list somewhere or a file and folder somewhere with all your important information so that the other spouse or family members have access to it at any given moment and at any point of time. So um, I think those were basically, and there's obviously, you know, issues for Americans living in Israel when they're talking about their investments in America or investing in Israel as well. I think that that sort of, sort of sums it up, right? Is there good job. I try. <laughs> okay. So, guys, thank you very, very much uh, for being with us. Thank you so much, Aaron, for being with us and discussing these very... Thank you for listening to another episode of Golden Topics. I hope you enjoyed it and that it provided you with important information. Do not forget to click and subscribe to Golden Topics so that you can stay updated on my upcoming podcasts. And of course, please share and invite family and friends to listen so that they can also benefit from the information discussed here. You are also welcome to visit my website, www.lawmirit.com, and to follow me on Facebook for more information regarding intergenerational estate planning and the various needs of the elderly population. I'm already waiting for you with my coffee in the next episode.
Oh.